Well, good morning. Wow, back in the auditorium. Come on. The Lord moves in mysterious ways. If you don't believe that, just consider Eddie. Doesn't get any more mysterious than that. All right. But it is a delight. It's a joy to be here. Love coming to Sterling. And uh, it is, it's nice to see warm bodies in the room. Those of you who are online, God bless you. Good to see you again uh, this morning. And uh, we want to just jump right into the Word if we can. So go ahead and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. And I've entitled this message today, Four Questions. Four Questions. If you're like I am, one of the things that's been extremely unsatisfying over the past six months has been the lack of a straight answer to relatively simple questions. Anybody been frustrated with a lack of really, just, just tell me something. It's like going to the doctor. Just don't use the big words. Just tell me, am I going to die of this? Or going to your accountant. Is it time to panic? Just give me real good information. And yet it seems like it's hard to get that in the current climate. And by way of introduction this morning, I look back at some messages that I have spoken over the past few years. And not because, I mean, you know, you, you, you look back and I had God asked me a question a few weeks ago. He says, do you ever listen to anything that you say? Now, my wife, of course, asked me that question a lot, but I'm just teasing. She's not here, so it's, it's, it's a free day for her. All right. But many times I will prophesy something or speak, quote, the word of the Lord, and the Lord will come back to me and he'll say, um... That was for you too. You know, one of the challenges in being a leader, being a prophetic guy, is hearing from God for an individual or for a group of individuals, i.e. a church, but then what is for me and what's for public consumption. And sometimes I'll step back from preaching and God will say, oh, that was for you too, by the way. And he asked me a few weeks ago, he said, do you ever listen to what you say? And I look back at some sermons that I have spoken at the beginning of the calendar year. Let me give you a few. 2017. The wind in the whirlwind, finding God in turbulent times. 2018. From groaning to glory. Last year, 2019. New wineskins. That before God does a new thing, he always has to prepare a new wine skin to receive it. You, all of you have heard these messages who have been in Sterling for a while. But I look thematically and I'm beginning to think if I've been listening, finding God in turbulent times, groaning to glory, new wine skins, a wine skin being made from something freshly killed. How many of you have freshly died to some things over the past six months? Oh, my goodness. And then this year, standing from this platform, spoke a message entitled, Out of Season. The 
that the greatest days of the church are coming and what's going to seem out of season in the natural is going to be in season for the church. I stood here nine months ago or so and spoke that message. It was a little bit prophetic. And there were three points that came out of that. And the passage, of course, was out of Ecclesiastes 11 that whoever watches the wind will not plant, looks at the clouds, will not reap. And as you don't know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God. How many of you have tried to figure it out? Tried to find something to rebuke? Or something to agree with? What's political? What's demonic? What's divine? Since you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things, Wish I had about a month to unpack just that. Sow your seed in the morning and in the evening. Let not your hands be idle. Wow. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. And from that extracted the understanding of seasons, the out-of-season moment that we would find ourselves in. Yet... Just like the trees planted by the river in Ezekiel 47, that wherever there's the life flow of God, of the Spirit, we will produce fruit out of season. And i got to tell you, I've never been more proud of the church than I have been in the past few months. The church moving beyond the glory of its, of its own assembly. That was sarcasm, by the way. Moving beyond the attractional models that we're taught to build in. And moving beyond just how we serve ourselves to figuring out how we serve those around us. Never been more proud. Never been more excited to be part of the church. Only took a global crisis for it to happen. That we would have to see differently. That rather than viewing the opposition, we would see it as the opportunity that it truly is. And then sowing. You know, I was listening to Pastor Eddie talk about giving this morning. And being the grandfather of those kids, God bless, you can pray for Mary and Eddie for all of the junk that the grands and then even the great-grands deposit into their household that they have to navigate. But as I was sitting there listening this morning, I realized, and I don't know how many of you have experienced this, but a weird spirit of poverty tried to descend upon me over these past few months. My paycheck continued to come from Grace Covenant, as it has for many years. My income was really unchanged. My expenses were unchanged. And yet, for whatever reason, I felt restricted, constrained. And it didn't really occur to me until this morning what I had been fighting for the past few weeks and months. This strange spirit of poverty. Now, it didn't affect my tithing and my giving. But this is a moment 
that we sow, and I'm convinced that it's not so much, and I'm not just talking about money now, I'm talking about anything that we have of ourselves that God has deposited with us, put on deposit with us to see what we'll do with it. But it's how we give it away. Will we sow even when it seems like the wrong moment to sow? And we looked at Isaac sowing in a moment of famine. The derision and the laughter when he went to the feed store to buy seed that year. Son, have you looked around? Have you considered that no one else is is planning anything because there's a drought, there's a famine? He said, yeah, I, I I got it. And he reaped a hundredfold that year because why? He did what God told him to do. But that's an old word. (laughs) That's an old word that we're still living the consequences of right now. But one of the words that's been used, that's been overused, has been the word seismic. Seismic shifts. The first time I spoke this message was in Chantilly in the beginning of, I guess it was August. And that morning there was actually an earthquake on the North Carolina-Virginia border. I don't know if anybody remembers that. But a 5.1. It's not a place that you have earthquakes ordinarily. And yet one of the things that happens is that in a seismic shift, it may just rumble for a moment, but it does damage to buildings and structures that you really can't see. Most of us remember the rumble that we had here a few years ago. I mean, in Washington, D.C., I mean, there were like chunks and gargoyles falling off of the National Cathedral. You know, the Washington Monument was closed for years while they were repairing the damage. It looked okay. But it was structurally unfit. You see, what happens many times with a seismic shift is that things shift in the foundation to the point that that structure, while it visibly may look all right to the naked eye, all of a sudden it's become unstable. And as a result of being unstable, it's become unsafe. And let me say to you that there are things that have changed around us, ladies and gentlemen, that are never going to change back. That's part of what I'm going to address this morning. If someone says new normal to me one more time, I'm going to slap them through their mask. Find another phrase. But if you say new normal to me one more time, it's on. I'm telling you. The word seismic is almost as overworked. And yet, how many of you know, whether economically, governmentally, ecclesiastically, relational, that whatever can be shaken, what does the Bible say? It's going to be shaken, baby. Why? To contrast... That which can never be shaken. That's why many people try, Pastor Jim, what demon, what devil, what principality, what do I loose or bind or, you know, is this God? Yes, it's all God. Whoa. What do you mean? You mean 
200,000 deaths in the United States. You, you, you're talking about the turmoil in our... It's all God. Well, you either believe one or two things. Either that God's in control or he's not. And that means he's also in control of the one who mets out evil. Now, God's not capable of evil. Everybody got that? Amen? But the reality is, Satan can do nothing without permission. Our issue is not the devil. Our issue is discerning the will of God. Hmm. Don't have time to talk about that. But if nothing else, that when we see everything around us shaking, then things that we never dreamed would shake. We look over here at this thing called the kingdom. And it hadn't budged. For the millennia, it hasn't moved. Because we have a king firmly ensconced, enthroned, not movable. The big biblical word is immutable. Immutable means immovable, baby. He's not changing and he ain't going nowhere. Everything else is subject to change, not him. And the kingdom of which he is the king of. And yet, when we see everything else shaking, it brings fear to us. And why does it it bring fear to us? Well, for one thing, it would be some, perhaps, benchmark or indicator that we've taken some level of comfort from something that could be shaken. And if there's anything I've learned about God, He loves making a fool out of other gods. It may take a moment, but whether it's propping up Dagon in the temple, whether it's turning Nebuchadnezzar into a grass-eating bovine, let me just tell you, he has a way of dealing with those things by which we derive our comfort from other than him. Wow. So here we are, though. Hey, Pastor Jim, that's great. Thank you for the review. But I've still got questions. And I want to give you four of them this morning, two of which are legitimate questions and two of them that are not. You know, if we want to get the right answers, it begins by asking the right questions. Let me just tell you, 43 years of marriage has taught me that. 42, excuse me. Better get that number right, or I won't make it to 43. I'm teasing. I mean, certain questions that you never ask a wife. What are you thinking about? Or here's one. What's wrong? Gentlemen, just don't do it. Just, just find, take the garbage out. Clean something. Empty the dishwasher. But there are certain questions that will always elicit a wrong answer, if you wish. Why is the first one. John, the ninth chapter, the disciples are there with Jesus. They see a man blind from birth. And they ask the question of which they had been inculcated not only in their theological training, but their culture. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Now, we may think, boy, that's a really crass question. No. It was understood in that mindset that all congenital birth defects were a direct result of sin. Somebody sinned, cause and effect. Deuteronomy 28, do this, get this, don't do this, don't get this. I mean, it's cause and effect, sowing and reaping. So they're asking good Hebrew questions. Who sinned? And then Jesus gave them this answer, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the work of God might be displayed in his life. This is not the answer they were looking for. This is not how they were trained. This this was not this always equals this. The math was wrong in how Jesus responded. Job, God's own testimony about the man. Have you considered my servant Job? Nobody on the planet like him. And then he spends the next 40 some odd chapters tearing the man's life apart. Now God didn't do it, but he did what? He allowed, come on, Satan to do it. He put all the parameters around Satan, but anything that could be touched around this man, in this man's body, in his emotions, his family, it got touched. And yet, he was doing everything right. This wasn't Job's own testimony about himself, his friends, his PR department, his his, his Facebook page. This was God testifying about the brother. Wow. And at the end of the whole thing, when we get to chapter 42, we're still not left with any good answers as to what this was all about. Oh, I've heard theologians, you know, pontificate as to what this really was. It was, you know, and and then you have the the Pentecostal guys. Well, he got double for his trouble. Ha! Yeah, but you know, I, I got a feeling when he was scraping the flesh off of himself, when he was burying his first family, when his friends were up in his face, somehow I don't think the double for his trouble really meant anything because he despaired of life itself. Wow. And yet, we want answers. Come on, I'm an American. I've got the intrawebs. I've got the latest eye toy. I demand answers. I'll Google it. And yet many times God will get very silent in these moments. Do you ever notice that? And we demand to know why. The same way that your three-year-old will, Why? Well, because you wouldn't understand if I told you. I cannot begin to tell you the number of times in God I've been in the midst of trial and wanting to try to to get the mind of God and God give me an answer like, you won't understand. And I'm like, try me, Bubba. You won't get it. 
Do you realize that much of what God is doing in and through you in this moment, you won't have perspective on on this side of heaven? You really won't. And yes, I'm sort of in the revelation business. And yet, many times, it says that God's ways and God's thinking is what? It's not ours. And so, ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for a why in the midst of some of this, you're not going to find it. Because in many ways, it's hidden from you. Well, I've heard all kinds. I mean, I've heard, oh, it's the judgment of God. Oh, it's a way of changing the political ideologies on the planet. Oh, it's this, it's that, and the other. And Most people are just, again, they're just making air. They really don't know why. One theologian said in moments like this, it just puts a megaphone in front of what people already believe. It really really is the truth. So in other words, if you're prone to believe that he's an angry God and this is the judgment of God, then this is your moment, baby. Years ago, there was a series of advertisements that went up on billboards. I'll never forget this one. It says, don't make me come down there, God. And I thought, I thought that was a whole idea. As a matter of fact, you already had done come down here. God. His name was Jesus. He's coming, he's returned, and he's coming again. But the theology behind that statement, don't make me come down there. I mean, that's the same threat that that you issue your children. After they've called for you the eighth time, and it's 10 p.m. at night. Don't make me come back there again. There's always a sense of foreboding and a threat involved. Well, these billboards had in it a lot of theology. That when God shows up, it ain't going to be a good thing. Wow. And yet, it says, don't think it's strange when you go through all this stuff. Interesting. Why? And then when? Oh, here's a big one. When? Most of the prophets, including this one, have already missed it. I remember one guy that I respect tremendously. His deal was Passover. That this was, it was going to pass over during Passover. How many of you know Passover done passed over? Kind of came and went. Quite a few months ago, and COVID continued to do what? Increase. And then I had this great revelation that it was going to be Pentecost, May 31st. That was a benchmark date that God wanted to rebirth the church in this particular moment. Now, I I still believe that he is doing something to rebirth the church into greater purposes As a result of all of this. And yet, May 31st, Pentecost Sunday, came and went. Guess what? We were still quarantined. I missed it. But I missed it with a lot of good company. Because we all want to know what? When? 
It's the big question in the culture. When is this going to be over? Every time I see my dad who is in a, a nursing facility and I've got the mask on and he's looking at me like, did you rob a bank? I mean, he's, and he's, he said, how long are we going to have to do it? And I, I don't know. It's the big question that's partially driving the political process right now. When are we going to loosen up? When are we going to get a vaccine? When, when, when? Not a new question. Acts, the first chapter, the disciples are sitting with Jesus, the post-resurrected Jesus, pre-ascension Jesus. And they said, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? Once again, good Hebrews. Why? Who sinned? When? When? He said, it's not for you to know the dates or times. Hmm. Well, now, wait a minute. I've got, again, I've got the new eye toy. You know, I've got calendars and alarms and beeps and buzzers and tactics and everything else. It's telling me, you ain't going to know this one. And what's so, what's so interesting is that they're inquiring about when is the kingdom going to be restored? And yet, the kingdom was sitting in front of them. <laughs> But they were looking for something else. They were looking for something politically, militarily. They were looking for the heavens to be bust open. And yet, here was the kingdom in their midst. And they still didn't get it. Wow. When? Jeremiah 29, we find the nation is in exile. Actually, they're in captivity. Seventy years for their disobedience. And we look back and we can see a number of prophetic utterances that were doing everything that it could to undo what God had established as his timing for this journey. One named Hananiah. It's going to be over, boys. It's going to be over in two years. God struck. God killed him. Jeremiah 29, we find another couple of guys. They got taken out. And yet... God has a prescribed time because he has a prescribed purpose. And if we don't understand so that we don't, it says you do not understand the ways of God, the words of God. Likewise, how many of us really understand the timing of God? We all, we can look back years later and we can see the perfection in God's timing, but in the midst of it. We're just like a two or three year old. We don't get it. When? Don't know. So then it begs a couple of questions. What do we do? What now? Well, the first is learn to lament. So what do you mean lament? Isn't that, isn't that just a fancy word for complain? Partially. But how many of you know there's a way to righteously complain and a way to unrighteously complain? Come on. You know, God is not afraid of your lament. As a matter of fact, we get a lot of instruction in this Bible about lament. We get an entire book of the Bible called what? Lamentations. Need some instruction? Read your Bible. A good chunk of the Psalms. What? The laments of David. Job. Lament. 
I mean, we get a lot of biblical precedent and instruction about lament. And yet we're afraid that if we really tell God, God, I just don't like this, somehow we feel like we, number one, we have violated something relationally, but then we feel like somehow we have damaged faith. Can I tell you, God's a big boy. He can handle your complaint. And let me say to you that faith sometimes needs to be informed by the fact of the matter. And many times the facts are lamentable. Hmm. Jesus. At the tomb of Lazarus. Says he wept. And once again, I've read all the theological postures about what he was weeping about. Their lack of faith, etc. and so forth. But can I submit to you that I think what we see is that Jesus, because he was looking at the friends and the relatives and, and his friends. And they, and they were so wrought in the moment that guess what? Jesus allowed his emotions to go with theirs. Knowing full well in a matter of moments, he was going to call forth rotting flesh and was going to walk out of that tomb. Knowing what was about to happen, he still wept. Our model is Jesus himself. It didn't make Jesus any less divine. Wow. We got to leave. I'm giving you now the... How do we live? The what's. We learn to lament well. We leave behind. I miss restaurants. Because I love to eat. I miss Cheesecake Factory. I miss certain things. But you know, sometimes we just have to leave behind. Israel, 430 years of captivity. They're out there in the desert and all of a sudden they're remembering how great the soup was. I can promise you the soup wasn't all that good. Leaving it. And then learning to live in this moment. Leaving in order for living. And Jeremiah 29, and I've used up all my time so I can only mention this, but we quote this like we understand it, but here is a nation in exile, in bondage, in the midst of everything being foreign and different around them, a hostile environment. And yet the prophet Jeremiah sends a letter and says, while you're there, in the midst of all of this unknown, in all of this hostility, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build. I want you to build. I want you to settle down. How many, how many of us know we need to settle down some? Folk gone crazy. Settle down. Plant, eat, sow like Isaac. Family. How many of you have been drawn into relationships more than ever before? All of a sudden now with all, out, with all the distractions kind of peeled away, 
What is the one thing that we have missed more than anything else? Family. To be able to walk into a building and actually give somebody a holy hug. To be able to talk to them without... We've missed that. Increase. Do not decrease. This is not a time to do this. It's a time to do this. And from the dominion mandate of Genesis all the way through the Great Commission, everything about this kingdom is one that's in expansion. And pray that it would prosper. Let me tell you. There's so much wrong with our nation right now. We we won't even provide commentary because we could all do it. So much wrong. And yet, it doesn't say, continue to highlight all of the faults. It says, be light. Be salt. Be the preservative. Be the proverbial thermostat rather than the thermometer to change the environment where God has put you. Whatever platform God's given you, if it's just a neighbor, it says to pray for the city to which I have taken you. Because what? If it prospers, come on, baby. You know what it says. There it is. I mean, you see celebrities now. It's time I'm going to leave this country. I'm going to pack up. Time to go. Is there a lot wrong? Yes, sir. But you know what? God put me here. I don't, I don't have the option of just saying, well, I'm just tired of this, that, and the other, and, you know, we're just so messed up and jacked up over here. I'm just going to learn me some Spanish and move to... I mean, it doesn't work. Because we are called to bear fruit where we're planted. And right now, you is here. And one of the things that God told me some few weeks ago he said son this is not a season this is a shift whatever you think and we're all waiting for the season to change Daniel 221 he changes times and seasons but there are times that those seasons become permanent and they move into a shift you know my greatest concern and yes I know that a preacher shouldn't use the word fear but I'm going to say it you know my greatest fear Is that the church will return to what it was. That we will go back to what we were doing. The models we had created. What we had taken our comfort and succor from. My concern is going back to what we were. Rather than allowing God to form us into that which he wants us formed into. And for that I am eternally grateful. For the shift. Yes, I lament the process. Because it's caused untold pain to millions and millions of people globally. And this is something that God is so serious about that it wasn't one nation. It wasn't one people group. It was an entire globe that he shook at one time to shift us. And then lastly, where is God? 
Where is he? I don't know if you're like I am, but it's been harder to find him. Can I just be real transparent with you this morning? I've been walking with God almost 50 years. And I'll say to you that it's been probably the most difficult season to access and find God. Oh, I, we, we've all had moments. But the reality is, why is, what, 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 what is there? Isaiah, this odd passage in Isaiah 45, it says, Truly you are a God who hides himself. You know why God hides himself? To see if we'll go find him. To find out when all of a sudden it's not quite so easy to find him. When we can't all just flood together in our attractional models and have a worship leader take us somewhere. That we can't have an exegete stand in the pulpit and read the Bible for us. That we can rely on the intercessors of the church, pray for me. All of a sudden, God is saying, now I want you to learn those skills. I want you to learn how to worship when you've got no worship team. I want you to learn how to figure out what this word says under the unction and inspiration of the Holy Ghost. I want you to learn how to pray and allow God, allow the Holy Spirit to pray in and through you. And yes, he's a God who hides himself, but not to be mean, but to train you. And it's taken new skills, a new determination, because it's been like this, but he can be found. So what have I said today? If we want the right answers, we've got to ask the right questions. It's real simple. Some of the questions that we don't need to be asking is the whys. You know, why in it most of the time has some some insinuation, some element of accusation. Why? When your children, why can't I? They're accusing you of not being a good parent. Why? Then the question, when? When is this all going to be over? When can we get back? I don't know. But the question then becomes, what? Francis Schaeffer wrote a book, I think it was copyrighted in 1973, the title of the book, How Then Should We Live? And here's the benchmarks for how then should we live. One, lament. You know it's okay to weep. It's okay to lament loss. But at some point, we have to leave that place so that lamentations can become celebrations later. That we leave behind... You know what? I didn't need the 3,000 calorie meals at Cheesecake Factory to begin with. Leaving behind. Learning to live in the moment. What opportunities have developed in the midst of all of this? Looking to turn opposition into opportunity. 
then lastly, God, where are you? Where are you? Because I want to find you. And the skills and the will to seek after you with all my heart, that's the thing I don't want to lose coming out of this moment. Pray with me. Lord, help us today. Lord, because I know in the context of identifying these inquiries that it's touched something in each one of us. God, we want to declare to you today, you are a good God. And you know what you're doing. God, it says you change times and seasons. And so we acknowledge, God, those changes. And God, even if those changes have moved us to a shift, God, let us understand what we don't need to return to. To leave behind what needs to be left in the past. And as Paul wrote, that we would strain to move ahead. God, that we would figure out how to live in this moment. And we would find you. Lord, thank you that you are God. And that you have chosen us as your people. And we receive your leading accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you, church.